and hung with bated avidity on the anticipated answer. How could anyone, even Mr. Lars of New York and Paris, disappoint all the millions of viewers throughout West Block in a dozen countries? To let them down would be to serve the interests of Peep East, or so the autonomic interviewer wished to convey. But it was failing. Lars said, It's, frankly, none of your business and stalked past the small bunch of footers who had assembled to gawk, stalked away from the warm glow of instant exposure before public observation, and to the uptrack of Mr. Lars Incorporated, the single-story structure arranged as if by intention among high-rise offices, whose size alone announced the essential nature of their function. Physical size, Lars reflected as he reached the outer public lobby of Mr. Lars Incorporated, was a false criterion. Even the autonomic interviewer wasn't fooled. It was Lars Powder-Dry that it wished to expose to its audience, not the industrial entities within easy reach, however much the entities would have delighted in seeing their ACPROP, acquisition propaganda, experts thundering into the attentive ears of its audience. The doors of Mr. Lars Incorporated shut, tuned as they were to his own cephalic pattern. He sealed off, safe from the gaping multitude whose attention had been jazzed up by professionals. On their own, the Persaps would have been reasonable about it, that is, they would be apathetic. Mr. Lars? Yes, Miss Bedouin? He halted. I know, the drafting department can't make head or tail of Sketch 285. To that he was resigned. Having seen it himself after Friday's trance, he knew how muddied it was. Well, they said... She hesitated, young and small, ill-equipped temperamentally to carry the grievances of others around in her possession as their spokesman. I'll talk to them direct, he said to her humanely. Frankly, to me, it looked like a self-programming egg-beater mounted on triangular wheels. And what can you destroy, he reflected, with that? Oh, they seem to feel it's a fine weapon, Miss Bedouin said, her natural hormone-enriched breasts moving in synchronicity with his notice of them. I believe they just can't make out the power source. You know, the erg structure? Before you go to 286... They want me, he said, to take a better look at 285. Okay. It did not bother him. He felt amiably inclined, because this was a pleasant April day, and Miss Bedouin, or if you like to think about it that way, Miss Bed, was pretty enough to restore any man's sanguineness, even a fashion designer, a weapons fashion designer. Even, he thought, the best and only weapons fashion designer in all West Block. To turn up his equal, and even this was in doubt as far as he was concerned, one would have to approach that other hemisphere, Peep East, the Sino-Soviet bloc owned or employed, or however they handled it, in any case had available to them services of a medium like himself. He had often wondered about her. Her name was Miss Topchev. The planet-wide private police agency Koch had informed him. Lilo Topchev with only one office, and that at Bulganingrad rather than New Moscow. She sounded reclusive to him, but Koch did not orate on subjective aspects of its scrutiny targets. Perhaps, he thought, 
Miss Topchev knitted her weapon sketches, or made them up while still in the trance state in the form of gaily colored ceramic tile. Anyhow, something artistic. Whether her client, or more accurately employer, the Peep East governing body Sirkeb, that grim, uncolored, and unadorned holistic academy of cogs, against which his own hemisphere had for so many decades now pitted every resource within itself, liked it or not. Because, of course, a weapons fashion designer had to be catered to. In his own career, he had managed to establish that. After all, he could not be compelled to enter his five-days-a-week trance, and probably neither could Lilo Topchev. Leaving Miss Bedouin, he entered his own office, removing his outer cape, cap, and slippers, and extended these discarded items of streetwear to the handy closet. Already his medical team, Dr. Tote and Nurse Elvira Funt, had sighted him. They rose and approached respectfully, and with them his near-psionically gifted quasi-subordinate Henry Morris. One never knew, he thought, constructing their reasoning on the basis of their alert, alarmed manner, when a trance might come on. Nurse Funt had her intravenous machinery tagging hummingly behind her, and Dr. Tote, a first-class product of the superior West German medical world, stood ready to whip out delicate devices for two distinct purposes. First, that no cardiac arrest during the trance state occur no infarcts to the lungs or excessive suppression of the vagus nerve, causing cessation of breathing and hence suffocation. And second, and without this there was no point to it all, that mentation during the trance state be established in a permanent record, obtainable after the state had ended. Dr. Tote was therefore essential in the business at Mr. Lars Incorporated. At the Paris office, a similar equally skilled crew awaited on standby, because it often happened that Lars Powderdry got a more powerful emanation at that.